Praise the Lord. Amen. Happy Mother's Day. You'll hear that again. I'm certain of it. Because I intend to say it again. Amen. Let's all stand. We will be celebrating our mothers uh, during the second service in particular. But we are thankful for our mothers. None of us would be here without our mothers. Amen. Maybe you've heard that before, but I think it's worth repeating. We ought to be thankful for our mothers, whoever they were. I mean, no one, none of us had a perfect mother. None of us did. But they gave birth to us. We're here today because of them. Amen. That is a very special thing. I will never know what it's like to have a life growing inside of me. Mothers do. That must be an amazing, amazing experience. I can't imagine. Praise God. Amen. We are gathered to, together today in the presence of Almighty God. And we are going to receive of Him all that He has for us today. Amen. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. I am so thankful for You. I am so thankful for this opportunity You've given us this morning to enter into the very throne room of God, the very presence of Almighty God. Hallelujah, Jesus. I will take every opportunity I can to enter into Your presence. I will avail myself of this opportunity this morning. I will not take it for granted. I will not esteem it lightly. What an awesome thing it is to be in the presence of God. What an awesome thing it is to hear Your voice and to feel Your touch today. Hallelujah, Jesus. I am in awe of You. Hallelujah, Jesus. What an awesome God we serve. What an awesome God we serve today. Thank You, Jesus, for this opportunity and for all that You have in store for us today. I pray especially for our mothers, Lord, that You would bless them today, that You would speak comfortably unto them. We are so thankful for them. We are so thankful for the, the, the people, the individuals who You use to give us life. Thank You, Jesus, for our mothers. And thank You, Lord Jesus, for all that You have in store for us today. We dedicate this service to You. We give it to You that You would reign over it sovereignly. This is Your service. We are Your people. Let Your perfect will be accomplished here today. And Lord Jesus, we take this opportunity this morning to give glory and honor unto the Lord our God, to worship and to praise our Creator today. Hallelujah, Jesus. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. There is no one higher. There is no one greater than You. Hallelujah, Jesus. We laud and we magnify Your name this morning. We heap glory and honor unto the Most High. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. I pray, Lord, that Your name would be glorified in our midst here today. And these things we ask in Jesus' name. Thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Jesus. Amen, amen. Praise God. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. There are, as we, as we grow in God and as we begin to understand more about God and who God is, and as He reveals Himself to us through prayer and through uh, His Word and through preaching, just through experience with Him, we begin to see things about God and we begin to understand things about God that we just didn't see before. And 
I pray, and I believe with all of my heart, that's going to continue until He takes us. Because He's an infinite God. And there is no way in one lifetime uh, that we can understand all that there is about who God is. And so, as I go on and learn more about God, I begin to see uh, different aspects of God, different things about God that I, I hadn't realized or seen before. One of those things that I saw uh, some time ago was this idea that God is simultaneously just and merciful. And that fascinated me. I spent some time looking at that. How that God can be both a God of justice and a God of righteousness. And simultaneously show mercy and forgiveness to us. That, that was incredible to me when I began to, to consider that. And how all of that, those, those two aspects of, of deity came together in one person. Jesus Christ. He was able to reconcile those two aspects of who He was in Jesus Christ. He was still a God of justice. And that demanded payment for sin. His holiness and His righteousness demands payment for sin. There's no way to get around that. That's part of who He is. But He paid it Himself. And so the Bible says that He's faithful and just. God of justice. God of righteousness. To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A God of mercy. A God of forgiveness. He can do that because everything's taken care of. The sin has been paid for. And so, that fascinated me. And recently, I've come across another dichotomy aspect in a, in a very similar vein. If we look at Second Chronicles chapter 6, verses 18-21, through 21, this is King Solomon. He's dedicating the temple that was just built. We kind of meet him part way through here. He begins in verse 18, But will God in very deed dwell with men on the earth? Behold, heaven... And the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house which I have built. Have respect, therefore, to thy, the prayer of thy servant and to his supplication, O Lord my God, to hearken unto the cry and the prayer which thy servant prayeth before thee, that thine eyes may be open upon this house day and night, upon the place whereof thou hast said that thou wouldest put thy name there, to hearken unto the prayer which thy servant prayeth toward this place. Hearken therefore unto the supplications of thy servant and of thy people Israel, which they shall make toward this place. Hear thou from thy dwelling place, even from heaven. And when thou hearest, forgive. Amen. So we see in, in this passage of Scripture two aspects of God. And I struggled trying to title this message. And I came up with this, the problem of transcendence. The problem of transcendence. There are two aspects of God that are, that are being demonstrated here. God's transcendence and God's imminence. And we'll go into both. God is a transcendent God. Meaning, in a nutshell, that He is outside of time and space. He exists outside of this reality. 
He's not affected by it. Nothing that happens here can touch him or who he is or change him in any way. Psalm 139, 7-10 says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. He's everywhere simultaneously. He's not only outside of His creation, but He is in every aspect of His creation simultaneously. He's everywhere. There's no place we can go to get away from God. As the saying goes, you can run, but you can't hide. God will find you. He always knows where you're at. He's above all. He's untouched by anything that transpires in His creation. He's unaffected by time. Certainly, sickness, disease, and death don't touch Him. He's unaffected by anything that happens here on the earth. Kings and kingdoms rise and fall. It doesn't matter to God. It doesn't touch Him in any way. He understands what's going on. He sees it. He knows every minutia, every detail of what's going on. He's omniscient concerning these situations. But they don't affect who God is. They don't take anything away from Him. They don't add anything to Him. He cannot receive more glory than He already possesses. We give God glory. We give Him honor. But that doesn't add anything to who God is. If we fail to give God glory, it doesn't take away from who God is. He still has all glory. And as Solomon stated, this monument to His glory and majesty doesn't add anything to Him. He's infinite. He always was, He is, and He always will be. And He will remain as He is, unchanging for all of eternity. He is unchanging because He is perfect. If He changed in any way, He would be imperfect. Therefore, He changes not. He is, as they say, immutable. His thoughts are not simply higher than ours. They're infinitely higher than ours. And I fear sometimes, at least in my own life, my own relationship with God, that I sometimes see God as just a super-powered human. I think sometimes, and it pains me to, to say this, but I think sometimes my idea or my attitude of God, and I say this because of, of how I respond to Him and, and how, I, how I approach Him in prayer sometimes, that He's just a super-powered version of me. I mean, really, really super-powered and really, really smart. But I fail to grasp the, the, just how different He is from me. Just how much higher He is from me. Just how much more holy and righteous He is than I. I fail to grasp that. Yeah, He's smarter. Yeah, He's more powerful. Yeah, He's, he's more holy. It's so much more than that. He's not just smarter than me. 
He's infinitely smarter than me. Comparing a bacteria to me doesn't do the comparison justice. It's not even close to comparing me to God. Indifference. Difference of intellect. Difference of processing power. However you want to say it. The difference is infinite. And that's the idea I'm trying to get across here. The problem that we're facing here is that the difference between you and God is infinite. It's an infinite difference. How is that going to be golfed? How can this infinite God, or rather I should say, how am I supposed to be expected to relate to this kind of being? How can I relate to a God that is so far higher than me? So much greater than I am? How is that even possible? In a lot of ways, it shouldn't be possible at all. He's infinitely higher than I am. Another aspect of His transcendence is God's inherent authority, His sovereignty over every aspect of creation. Because He's infinitely higher, because He's infinitely greater, because He spoke all things into existence and everything is His. He's altogether sovereign. And that's another thing that we struggle with here in the United States. is a sovereign God. We keep thinking that as Christians we have a choice. Well, we do have a choice. But if we're going to be... We did have a choice. Before we came to the Lord, we had a choice. Serve God or no. If we've already made that choice, if we've told God yes, I'm going to keep going back to the army because it's an easy analogy. Before I joined the army, I had a choice. Now people are starting to understand. Once I signed on the dotted line, that choice was gone. I already made it. I didn't have any more choices. Now I'm going to do what I'm told. Right? The same thing applies to God. After we tell God yes, as it were, we sign our names on the dotted line, our choices are gone. We do what we're told now. And I'm not saying from me. I'm saying from God. God is our sovereign. He tells us what to do. He doesn't ask. He doesn't coerce and pretty please with sugar on top. That's not the God I serve. He's my king. He commands me. And I obey. That's who I serve. That's who you serve. He's not the president. He's not an elected official. We didn't put him there. He's a sovereign God. A transcendent, sovereign, almighty God. And that's who we serve today. Psalm 57 and 5 says, Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. 
Psalm 97 and 9 says, For Thou, Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all gods. Ecclesiastes 5 and 2 says, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. Psalm 8 and 1 says, O Lord our God, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who hast set thy glory above the heavens. Psalm 113.5 says, Who is like unto the Lord our God, who dwelleth on high? And Psalm, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 4.39 says, Know therefore this day and consider it in thine heart, that the Lord, He is in God, He is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. There is none else. And this is a good segue into our problem. That at the same time, He is altogether imminent. He is present in His creation. He is present in the lives of His people. How is that even How is that possible? When you start to think about it, when you begin to see who God is, how high and lofty He is, and that He's also present in my life, that He knows who you are by name. He has a relationship or wants a relationship with each person He's created. He wants to know us intimately and He wants us to know Him intimately. He's present in His creation, particularly with His covenant people. He's very active in His creation. And again, particularly in behalf of His covenant people. Deuteronomy 4 and 7 says, For what nation is there so great, who hath God so nigh unto them, as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon Him for? Think about that for a moment. This God that revealed Himself in smoke and thunder and lightnings on Mount Sinai was present in their everyday life. A pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. When they called on God, He answered. Deuteronomy 4 and 20 says, But the Lord hath taken you and brought you forth out of the iron furnace, even out of Egypt, to be unto Him a people of inheritance, as ye are this day. God chose them. He called them out of bondage. Not just a random people, but a people He chose. A people that He was beginning to work with in the time of Abram. 430 some odd years ago. Deuteronomy 7 and 6 says, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto Himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. I hope you feel like that this morning. That as His covenant people, He's chosen us to be unique, special, called out, separated unto Himself. Unique upon all the face of the earth. What a privilege we have. 2 Corinthians 6 and 18 says, And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. 
that we, who were not a people, are now the people of God. He wasn't our Father, but He adopted us and gave us His name and made us sons and daughters of His. This transcendent God who is above everything, who is entirely unrelatable to us in our present state, desires to relate to us. Revelation 21 and 7 says, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Amen. So here's the problem. Here's the dichotomy. That he is utterly transcendent and altogether imminent. In our Scripture text, Solomon acknowledges both aspects of God. His transcendence and His imminence. Solomon declares that God inhabits all of His creation and will not be bound to a single location. Truth. He's everywhere. He's not going to be contained in this one building. Even when He is present in this building... He's present everywhere else simultaneously. Solomon also declares God's desire to dwell with His covenant people and that he boldly asks God to listen to them when they pray and to respond to their prayers. Now, if you understand the one aspect of God, you're going to have to understand something else about God to be able to ask something like this. If I understand that God is way out there, that He is far above everything. He's certainly above all my petty cares and concerns. None of this affects God in any way. My worst day doesn't touch Him at all. He's still having a great day. God always has a great day. He's always having a victorious day. Praise God. Whatever I'm going through, good, bad, or indifferent, doesn't change that. I can have the worst day in my, in my life. God's having a victorious day. He's having a fantastic day. And as an aside, because of that, in my worst day, I can be victorious. I can have a great day, even in my worst situation. Because God is having a great day and He is victorious. And because He is victorious, we are victorious. Praise God for that. But whatever I'm going through doesn't affect Him. So, if I'm going to ask something of that God who's way out there and by every right shouldn't really be concerned with what I'm going through, i got to know something else about God to, be, to even think that I have a chance of asking Him for something. If all I know of God is that He is transcendent and He's holy and He's righteous and He is infinitely above me in every conceivable way, if that's all I know, well, that's the road to agnosticism. I, yeah, he's out there, but he's unknowable. I can't know who that is. And if we stop right there, yeah, that's true. We can't know who God is. But God has come and he has revealed himself 
to us. And that's the awesome, that's one of the tremendously long lists of things that are awesome about God. Is that in every step of this process, He's the prime mover. He's the one that initiates everything. Don't think for one second. And I've thought this. I've told you that. I thought I was the one that found God when I first came to Him. Yep, I'm laughing with you now. But I really thought that. No one told me about this. I just, I just figured it out all on my own. <clears throat> what an idiot to think something like that. Anyway, uh, God, was, God was moving through every step of the process. I know that now. Praise God. Thank God that He did. But in every step of this process, in every step of the process that you came to Him in, He was the initiator. He was the prime mover. He was the one that made the first move. All we ever do is respond. All we ever do is react. That's it. That's it. That's all we do. Don't believe for one second that you're initiating or you're taking the initiative here. You're not. God is. God is the one that, that initiates. So Solomon also knew something else. He knew that he was present with his people. He'd heard the stories from David and from his uh, other people in the kingdom, the priests. He saw it in the Word of God. What God had did for them, taking them out of Egypt. All the signs and wonders that were performed through Moses in the time of Joshua. How that He delivered their enemies into the hands of the nation of Israel. How that God fought for them. That He was very present with them. He knew all of this. And so He asks, Hear us when we pray. Answer when we cry out to You. He also declares God's desire to dwell with His covenant people. When we're praying, we're doing the exact same thing. We're declaring God's transcendence. That He is all-powerful. That He is above every situation and circumstance. It may look impossible to you, but from God's perspective, it's a blip on the radar. From God's perspective, it's nothing at all. You've heard the analogy. You've probably used it before. When you're sitting on planet Earth and the storms and the hurricanes and the tornadoes are destroying everything, someone sitting 50,000 feet above the air in an airplane, all they see is sun. The difference is 50,000 feet. It's this perspective. If we start looking at situations from God's perspective, it doesn't look so bad. It doesn't look so hard. From our perspective, they certainly do. From our perspective, there are a lot of things that are impossible. A lot of things. Because we just, we're not that smart and we're not that strong. 
We're not that resilient. But all of these things are below God. And He can take care of each and every one of them just as easily as the next. So we declare that He is that transcendent God, infinitely powerful, infinitely wise. And we also declare His goodness and His desire to dwell with His people in that we petition Him for our needs. We petition Him with our requests. And we expect that He's going to answer. Not because we're arrogant. Not because we're throwing a temper tantrum and we want it now. But we're resting in what we know of God. We're resting in His faithfulness. We're resting in the covenant promises that He's given us. How does God respond to Solomon's prayer? Second Chronicles chapter 7, starting with verse 12, we see exactly how God responded. Verse 12 begins, And the Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, That really is enough to answer the question. That transcendent God who the heaven of heavens cannot contain came and appeared to Solomon and spoke to him. And said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for an house of sacrifice. If I set up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, which he has every right to do. He's the righteous judge. He's given this people his law. They're not ignorant. They know what they're supposed to do. If they disobey that, he is perfectly righteous and perfectly just to do this. He continues, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now have I chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever. And mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. God heard Solomon's request from heaven and he listened to the request. This transcendent God who is utterly unknowable was listening to Solomon, heard his request, and came and appeared to him and answered him. Initially, when Solomon had finished his prayer at the temple, God responded in a physical manner by filling the temple with His glory. I find it interesting, this was a rather lengthy prayer. God didn't just cut to the chase. God knew what He was going to say. 
God knew what He was going to pray. He knew what He was going to do there. But He waited. He waited on Solomon to finish. And when Solomon was good and done, then God responded by filling His temple with His glory. I find that fascinating. That God was waiting on Solomon to respond. We see all kinds of examples with Moses. God would command Moses to do something. Then God would wait until Moses responded. God does the same with you and me today. There are things that God wants to do. But He'll always wait on us to work through us. If we're going to receive something of God in prayer, we need to ask first. Then the Bible says we'll receive. God knows what you need. God knows what you're going to pray. It seems seems a little redundant. It seems a little unnecessary. But He's going to wait on you. And He's going to wait on me. When I have a need, I'm going to bring it to Him in prayer. And when I've brought it to Him in prayer, then I'm going to receive it. That's how it works. He's waiting on us. He won't move. He won't work unless we first go. I find that very interesting. That the Lord operates in such a way. Solomon's prayer. He prayed and prayed. Elijah with the priests of Baal. God didn't respond by fire until Elijah was done talking. Now, I fully believe it didn't seem like that that long a prayer that he prayed. But I fully think if he had went a half hour, God would have waited a half hour until his servant was done speaking. And then he was going to then he was going to act. That's very, that's very interesting to me. So how does God reconcile these two aspects of His, of His being? How does God reconcile His transcendence and His imminence? How did God reconcile His justice and His mercy? The same way. In the form of Jesus Christ. In the form of Jesus Christ. Matthew one twenty three says, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Amen. First Timothy three sixteen says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. 
John 1.14 says the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. As we see human history unraveling in Scripture, from the time of creation all the way up to this present moment, we see a history of this transcendent God doing everything He can within His character to relate to us, to have a relationship with us. I think all of that is summed up quite nicely in this verse, 2 Corinthians 5.19. To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto Him, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. That we were created in good fellowship, good standing with God. We rebelled against Him. We broke fellowship. We broke covenant with Him. And from that moment on, God's focus was to restore that relationship. To restore it wholly. Not typically, not as a shadow, but fully. God is not the offender here. He never has been. I understand feeling this way. I have been tempted to feel this way several times. This idea that, well, you just need to forgive people and you need to forgive God too. I've heard people say that. And... On the one hand, I understand what they're saying, but I, I can't accept that, okay? Can I say it that way? I'll just be frank with you. I think that's wrong. I, there's, what are you forgiving God for? Hanging on a cross? For giving you life? For keeping you until this present moment? What, what are you forgiving Him for? Allowing something bad to touch your life? You need to get a different perspective, sir, ma'am. And you need to understand that that thing was sent for your benefit. If you can receive that in the manner that it's intended... None of us have been untouched by bad things. All of us have, ex have experienced bad things. All of us. Everyone. Everyone that's ever born. I don't care who you are. You've experienced being stabbed in the back by someone you trust. You, you've been wounded. You've been hurt. You've, been, you've lost loved ones. No one is immune from that. That's life. I'm sorry. That's life. Now, people have different temperaments. They have different personalities. I'm not trying to minimize any of that. Okay? Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not minimizing that. You go through that, you lose a loved one. That hurts. You grieve. 
that's, that's the right thing to do. Someone stabs you in the back that you've trusted your whole life. That hurts. But that's not God's fault. That's the individual's fault. He's the one that made that choice. God took someone before their time. Well, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, who's the sovereign? You or God? Now, I'll grant you, if it were up to me, maybe a different choice would have been made. If I was the one that had the choice of life and death, I might make different choices. But I don't have that choice. And I'm not going to have that choice, and neither are you. Not ever. Trust me, you don't want that choice. You don't want that. Let God take care of that. Let God decide who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Let God decide who's saved and not saved. Let God decide who's right and who's wrong. We don't have to worry about that. That's up to the righteous judge to determine. The one who has the whole picture. The one who knows our hearts. Let him decide. Every time someone dies young, a lot of times it's probably a health issue that was very preventable. I, I mean... Can I be frank with you? A lot of deaths in the United States are very preventable. If you would just learn to eat right and exercise. I know. I know. I heard one guy say one time, you know, we, we get a headache, we pop an aspirin. He's like, is that headache caused because of an aspirin deficiency? No. No, it's, it's caused by something else. <laughs> maybe, a, maybe a nutrient deficiency. Anyway. <clears throat> How did that even come up? <clears throat> I don't like seeing people go before their time. I don't, think, I don't think all the time it's God's will for people to die when they do. I don't think that that's true. Certainly in, in the case of a suicide, I mean, God permits it, but I don't think it's His will that that takes place. I don't think it's God's will to, for someone who's 450 pounds and, and has all kinds of health issues to die when they're 40 years old. I don't think that's God's will. That's the problem with following rabbit trails. Now I don't know how to get back. <clears throat> okay, God is not the offender here. Thank God for notes. <clears throat> We're not forgiving God for anything, okay? We don't forgive God. There's nothing to forgive God for, okay? The only thing we can do with God is thank Him, worship Him, praise Him, 
be grateful for Him and everything that He's done in our lives. If I get to the place where I think I need to forgive God, I need to reevaluate some things. Straight up. To me personally, that's a red flag for me. I start thinking like God did something to me wrong or bad. Alarms are going off now. This is not right. This is not the right way to look at this. If anything, if there's any problem with any, any area, it's right here. God is not the problem. God's Word is never the problem. It's my understanding. It's something here. In every case, when I've traced it down, it always ends up right here. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that nice? That's a good thing, isn't it? <clears throat> but now, because it's not you, it's me, now I can do something about it. When I'm the problem, I can take care of that. If you're the problem, I have no power over it at all. That's why I despise excuses. That's why I hate it when someone else is at fault. Because now you've completely, you have no responsibility here whatsoever. There's nothing you can do about it anymore. You're just going to have to sit there and take it. I, I don't, I, that doesn't sit right with me. I want it to be here because now I have the power and the authority to change. I can fix me. I can get in the Word. I can get closer to God. I can have Him speak to me. Show me what's wrong. That I can do. I can't do that for you. When someone stabs me in the back or, or someone says a mean thing about me, well, I, he did, yeah, he did that, but I'm the one that's responding, right? I'm the one that can control how I respond to that. How does Jesus want us to respond to that? Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Right? Well, there you go. Easy peasy. Yeah. Easy to say, right? It doesn't matter how easy it is to say. That's what we're commanded to do. Okay? And as I see it, when my sovereign tells me to pray for my enemies, I, got, I just have to pray for my enemies. And if I can't pray for them here, I can certainly start praying for them here. Eventually, it's going to get down to here. My pastor always told us, going through the motions will bring on the emotions. If you don't feel like praising God, just lift your hands and, and speak the words. Eventually, it's going to start getting in here. True. I don't have to feel like doing it. I just have to do it. I didn't always feel like pulling CQ duty. But that didn't matter. No one asked me if I felt like it. Can you imagine? It's almost as if they, weren't, they didn't care about how I felt about it. Right? I just... Wow. They didn't care about how I felt. <laughs> they just needed me to do it. 
don't know if Jesus doesn't care about how I feel about it or not, but I know He wants me to do it. I need to pray for my enemies. Why? Because He told me to. Because that's reflecting who God is. If I want vengeance, if I want revenge against that, if I, because I'm right and He's wrong, I want justice. Do you really want justice? Are you absolutely sure you want justice? I don't want justice. I want mercy. That's what I want. I've ne- I don't know if that's true or not. Moving forward, I don't ever want to tell God that I want justice in this situation. Because if I get justice for Him, if, if God's going to give me justice, someone's, God's going to give justice for something that I did too. Right? Because I'm not perfect. And I'm going to mess up. And now someone's going to want justice against me. Can God give that too? Well, that's different. No, it's not different. If you want mercy, show mercy. I gotta show mercy. Because that's exactly what I want. Amen. God's not the offender. He never has been. We're the offenders. We're the ones that rebelled against God. We're the ones that told God yes, but did no. We're the ones that just told God no. If I rebelled against my parents, I knew what to expect. They were nothing if not consistent. Every single time, I got a whackety whack whack. It uh, didn't matter. Didn't matter how sorry I was after the fact. <clears throat> Is that my parents' fault? That's not my parents' fault. They made the rules plainly clear. Don't throw the softball in the living room because you're going to put a hole in the window. Well, I didn't believe Dad. I threw the softball in the living room. Guess what happened? I broke the great big picture window. And for a split second, this is how dumb kids are. For a split second, I was trying to figure out how can I hide this. Yeah. Yep. Well, I eventually concluded that it wasn't going to be hid. (laughs) I could take the whole window out and maybe he'd just think it's really clean. That's the best I could come up with. But now, now I shifted gears and I went to mom. And I begged mom, please talk to dad. Please talk to dad. Tell him I'm sorry. I wasn't going to talk to dad. Not until mom talked to him first. My advocate. (laughs) Amazingly, nothing came of it. Some scolding. 
and I had to work it off. That I can do. Yes, sir. <laughs> I will gladly do that. <clears throat> so in every case, in every step of the way, he's the initiator. He's the prime mover. In creation, he's the one that initiated. In salvation, he's the one that, that starts the process. In relationship, in perfecting us and making us like him, he's the one that moves us through that process every step of the way. And what brings these two, two aspects together in the form of Jesus Christ, if I can get a little bit more specific, is the love of God. His love brings these two together. Just like justice and mercy, it brings transcendence and imminence together. Because His transcendence, that's how He is naturally. But at the same time, He wants a relationship with us. He wants us to relate to Him. And that simply can't happen unless He first uh, makes a way for that to happen. He's got to reveal Himself to us. He's got to show Himself to us. He has got to speak to us first. We'll never find Him out there. Not ever. If it were up to us, there's no way we could find Him, let alone understand who He is. So He comes and, he, he comes and brings Himself to us. He reveals Himself to us, particularly in this dispensation, in the form of Jesus Christ. And it's His love that does that. It's His love that does that. And I can't begin... I can't begin to describe to you what a difference it makes the first time you're able to receive His love. Sister Parker, I will forever be thankful for that one question you posed to me. That changed my life. That God loves me. And I'm worthy of that love. And when you receive that, that changes everything. That changes who you are. That changes all of your relationships. That changes how you deal with people. That changes how you deal with God. How you respond to Him. Everything changes from that point. I couldn't imagine it. And I bring that up because I know there are people sitting here that have not yet done that. I know there are. You know why? Because it takes one to know one. You've got to believe that. You've got to believe that you're worthy of everything God wants to do in your life. You're worthy of salvation. You're worthy of His love. You're worthy of every good gift because He's made you worthy. He made you worthy. You've got to receive that. You'll never, you'll never grow in God like He wants you to, like you want to. You'll never become the person in every aspect that He wants you to be unless you can accept that. Because if you cannot accept the love of God, you cannot love others like He does. You cannot love yourself like He does. And I'm not talking narcissism. I'm talking about seeing yourself as He sees you. I didn't even know I had that kind of a problem. That I hated myself. I loathed myself. I didn't even know it. But I did. 
Not anymore. God delivered me from that. And He can deliver you from that. Your self-loathing. People have done things to you. People have said things to you. doesn't matter if it's true or not. It affects you. You start believing it. I'm just a dirty, no good sinner. I'm just, I just, there's nothing good coming out of me. People tell you that long enough, you start believing that. It's not true. And I know just me saying it a couple times up here isn't going to change a lifetime of hearing that. But my point is this Jesus Christ can change that. Just like that, in a moment. He can change that. He can take all of that away. He can heal that. He can give you a different view of yourself. The view He has. How He sees you. I know how you see yourself. I know how I saw myself. But that is not an accurate picture. It's a distorted image. That's the enemy trying to get you to see yourself like that. Jesus sees you so much different. He sees you as beautiful. He sees you as worth everything. When you start accepting that, when you start receiving that, everything changes. Amen. The love of God is what brings these two aspects together. And I imagine that as I go on, continuing to search the Scriptures and study God and get to know Him more and more and other things begin to be, be revealed to me, all of that's going to come into, into Jesus Christ as well. I have a feeling that everything just kind of leads to that. The form of Jesus Christ. Amen. I am so thankful that He came as a man, suffered on a cross and died in my place, that I can have a relationship with Him that one day I can spend eternity with Him. Amen. What a hope we have in Jesus Christ. Let's all stand. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful for You. We are so thankful for the love of God that has been set abroad in our hearts. Hallelujah, Jesus. That You love us. That You desire a relationship with us. Not out of obligation or duty. There's no obligation or duty that any man or woman could place on you. But you desire a relationship with us. You desire for us to know you. Oh, hallelujah. I pray that at every opportunity, Lord, we would avail ourselves of those opportunities you give us to enter into your presence to open the Word of God, to learn of You, to draw nigh unto You, to receive of You. Hallelujah, Jesus. Help us to understand You as we move forward in You. Bless the remainder of our service. Speak comfortably to Your people. Bless our mothers today, I pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Praise God. We're going to take a 15-minute break. We'll be back at a quarter till.